Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. It's been such an enriching experience, the conference has been. Uh, more than words can say, more than the eye can perceive. It's been, it's been vast, the work of God. Profound both in terms of the release of doctrine, what God said to us, and, and also what God did uh, in terms of bringing the complement of ministers that came to the conference. We had 38 churches represented here. That was a phenomenal prophetic sign of what God has called us to as a house, to gather people and to gather churches and to um, equip Zion. Zion is the church of the living God, but it's not a local church. People falsely interpret the Zion principle in Scripture as a local church. No, Zion is the mount of the Lord, the city of God, the city set on a hill, but that city is a corporate entity. It's corporate. So that's why oneness must not only be fostered in and amongst us here internally, it must be sought for in the broader body of Christ. Amen. And we do sometimes, these things are costly on our time, costly in our resources. Um, building relationships is a costly exercise. You know, it demands everything from you. But I'm beginning to see the tremendous benefits that come from, from oneness, when that oneness is forged beyond the smallness of a local entity. It must be broader. And when you sow broader, you reap broader. If your sowing is localized, your reaping will be localized. If all you're doing is sowing to your immediate family, guess what? Your harvest is limited to that. Limited to that. When you begin to sow beyond your sphere, your harvest will widen, so to speak. Okay? And now we are sowing globally. And uh, I want to encourage you, when you sow beyond your locality, you reap beyond your locality. When you sow beyond a present sphere, if your present sphere is only whatever it means to you, but it's limited, then that will be the furthest extremity that you can ever hope for to reap from. I want to encourage you, sow further than what you are presently. Don't only sow into your immediate environment. Give liberally, give lavishly as far as possible, as far as you can. Amen. So I want to continue now just quickly on the whole issue on the grace of God kingdom economics, money, and finance. It seems as though this particular series is coming out vastly different to what I anticipated. Because God in His sovereignty has fixated my thoughts on linking money and grace. Money and econo- uh, grace and economics. Grace and finances. I love the songs that we sang. Grace basically characterizes the totality of our lives. From, bef- from before creation, right up until the end of the age, it will all be by the grace of God. Amen? All be by the grace of God. And I shared with you that grace is not just um, unmerited favor. Grace is not just empowerment. It's all these things. I, I did a, a little post in the week when I was thinking about the power and the vastness of the grace of God. And now that sometimes we mere mortals limit our comprehension to it, 
and we box it into a particular effect. And when you box something that is multifaceted into one effect, you limit the other effects. You limit your experience of the other effects. It's bigger than you think. It saved you, but it's not only saving grace. Yeah? It forgave your sin, but it's not only unmerited favor. That's the entrance into grace. Grace is also God's empowerment. Right? It's the enablement, if you would. It's the energy, if you would, that God affords men to, to be His representation in the earth and to effectively do His purposes in the earth. Amen? So it's the person of God. It's the substance. It's the texture of God as a spirit being. That's what grace is. It's the constituent element of God as a spirit being. Right? It, it saves you. When that dynamic, when you get saved, God said, my spirit I will put into you. I, I, will, I, will, I will give you from my nature and download that into you. That's why you're saved by grace. Right? Couldn't work to generate that result. All you had to do was believe by faith in Jesus. Not so? And, and God, there was a divine supernatural exchange of the nature of God into your fallenness that changed you forever. Now saved. Now in the kingdom. You are required to grow in it. It says grow in grace. Most people understand saving grace. Few understand growing in grace. Grace that saved you, you are meant to grow into it. And you're meant to mature in it. Peter said, multiplied grace be to you. Right? Multiplied grace. And I don't think we are too grace conscious enough. We, we tell your neighbor, be more grace aware. Okay? And if you're not conscious of a thing, your experience of the thing will be limited. Truth sets you free only once you know it. Truth doesn't set you free. Truth that you know sets you free. It says you will know the truth and the, the truth will make you free. So the awareness of a thing, that is why as a man thinks, so easy. Tell your neighbor, think grace. So the more we are aware of it, the more we conscientize our minds concerning it. When you read Paul's epistles, the man was besotted by the theme of the grace of God. It, it, it overwhelmed his thinking. Right? If he, he says at one time, if I'm anything, I am what I am by the, by the grace of God. I work, yet not I, but the, the grace of God that was with me. At one time he said, I'm chief of sinners, least of the apostles. If you want to rank me, rank me way, way up there, chief among sinners, least amongst apostles. But he says, but his grace towards me was more abundant. He understood what grace did. He understood the power of the grace of God working in his life. And we made the statement in the series that Romans 1.5 uh, 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 speaks about being justified by faith, etc. And 5.2 talks about we are introduced into this grace in which we stand. You're standing in grace. You're living in grace. Grace is an economy. It's a spatial sphere of existence. Therefore, when we think money, when we think anything, anything in terms of what God expects sons to do, it'll all be by grace. Right? And grace works best in the context of human inability and human weakness. When you can't, grace can. Even when you got saved, you couldn't save yourself by your own works, but by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should, should boast. Now in the kingdom, I, want, I, want, I really want to encourage you all, now being saved in the kingdom 
you are God's son and you, you're growing in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every effort that you make, listen carefully, every effort that you make to position yourself to grow in grace, that effort is itself by grace. So that it could never be said it was you and not God. Yeah? Right? But I said to you, that doesn't take away your personal responsibility. It doesn't encourage in discipline. It doesn't encourage response. You must be responsible. You must humble yourself, right? At least incline yourself to humility so that the, God, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. But if you, if you insist on being proud, He's going to resist you. He's going to resist you, right? If you discount the need for spiritual fathering, for example, you say, I don't want this thing about spiritual fathering. I don't need a father. Let me tell you, in time, you're going to be grace deficient. Because that economy is biblically designed by God to enrich you with the grace of God. Right? If you discount the need for valid apost apostolic expression, if you say, I don't need to connect with an authentic apostolic father in grace, like we do in the person of Pastor Thamo and I do, if you say, that's, that's, that doesn't cut it for me, I can show you biblically that there's a dynamic of growth in God that will evade you because God is a God of, God is a God of great order, protocol, structure, and arrangements. When you come into the kingdom, it's not like everything is loose. No, there's structure, there's protocol, there's order, there's relationships to which you must submit that are designed to enrich you. Not so? Right? So, for example, Jesus submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. Right? And the Bible suddenly says, and he grows in grace. From, from, the, from a position of submission, growth, if he did not submit, there will be no growth. All I'm saying to us is, Every time we position ourselves in reference to some behavior or some mentality that causes me to grow in grace, I'm suggesting that even that capacity to obey that principle is the enablement by God in and of itself. So that it could never be said it was you. All I'm saying to you, at least be inclined to obey. Because the moment you incline your heart to obey, grace kicks in to fuel your obedience. Yeah? So even the kindness of God leads men to repentance. Amen. So when we administrate finances, I say this to you, and I don't want to rehearse what we did. We did like, this is the ninth session now. I don't want to rehearse all that we've done. But I said to you, if you're giving money and you're saying, Lord, I want to obey you financially, your act of obedience must be an expression of the grace of God that you carry. You give from a grace position, not from a works position. Your act of obedience financially is because grace prompted that. Grace enabled that. Grace fueled that. Grace energized that. Huh? Grace resulted in that act of yours obeying God. I want to say this again. If you're finding it difficult to obey God, perhaps you're trying too hard in your own strength. And you're not tapping into grace that is present that will propel your obedience. Yeah? So I want to encourage you, by grace you can do more in grace than in the flesh. Without grace, Abram produces Ishmael. His name is changed from Abram to Abraham. An insertion of grace, he produces Isaac. What grace produced, grace can offer as a sacrifice. He can offer Isaac. Because he knew that result of having the Isaac is not me, it's by grace. Right? 
Ishmael could never be a fitful offering, a fitting offering, because Ishmael was a result of the works of the flesh. And when you produce something based upon your energy, your ingenuity, there's always a reluctance to give it because you generated it. But when you know this could never be resulted except by the mercy and the grace of God, it's the have a freedom to release it because you know grace generated it in the first place. So what grace generates, grace is able to give. But what the flesh generates, if you think what you did, your money is yours because of my work, my, my time I put into my work, my boss remunerated me, or my business generated profits from me, if you think it's all my doing, guess what? When the time comes to release that, there will be reluctance too. Because it's yours. In your mindset, it's yours. I want to dispossess you of all possessions. Huh? We don't possess anything. We are stewards of kingdom assets. We're not owners of personal goods. Yeah? If God owns it, when God wants to release it, He can cause you and speak to you so you can release it. Amen? So give by grace. Remember, we looked at Hannah. Could Hannah have a son naturally? No, barren. What does her name mean? Grace. Not so? Gracious, graceful. A name means graceful, gracious. God supernaturally empowered her to bear a son. And she gave the boy away, which is Samuel. Not so? Gave the boy away, which is Samuel. So what grace generated, grace was able to give as a first fruit offering. Samuel was the first fruit, I believe. Why? He was the only son. Listen carefully. She asked for a son to give him away. This was the words. You give me, I give him back. You give me, everyone say, you give me, I give him back. I'm, I'm able to give because of the recognition this could not be generated by my own strength. You gave me. You see, what God gives, the recipient of the gift is easily able to release the gift because the recipient knows it wasn't him, it's God. So what you receive of God's hand, you're able to, you're able to release. And remember, how many sons did you have after that? Five more sons. What's five? Grace. Listen carefully. When you give from grace, releasing things to the kingdom of God for the purposes of God, like Samuel was released to the kingdom purpose. When you do that, the result that is generated in your life is more grace. Yeah? And so you, you generate more grace. Five represents grace. Five more sons God blesses Hannah with. Right? And I want to encourage you. You see, it takes grace to give. But it takes giving to generate more grace. You give from grace. And every time you give from grace, you generate more grace. Amen? You generate more grace. And so the cycle goes. And God, uh, through Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8... After speaking at length about giving, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. That is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. What do you need in life? Come on, talk to me. What do you need in life? Talk to me. What do you need in life? What's going to make you successful? Grace. Grace will give you the edge. You have graceless individuals and graceful individuals. You have grace deficient individuals, and grace sufficient. Grace is going to give you the advantage. Yeah? So if I read in the Bible, there's a scripture that says, 
God can take, not some grace, God can take all grace and make it abound to me? I want to read the context and says, what can I, why? The whole context of that verse speaks about giving, speaks about accurate handling of financial resources, right? If grace is multifaceted, it's got many sides to it, it's variegated, God says, I won't only give you one side of it, I give you all grace, right? I give you all grace, I make it abound to you. And I'll give you some testimonies in a moment of what I'm talking about. This is real. Very, very real. This is very, very real. And it works. If someone tells me, you want to get, the, get a result, do X. I won't do Y. If they say, you want that result, do C. I won't do D. Right? If the Bible says, a pathway to all grace is to the simple act of accurate management of your finances. Then I want to get that down. I want to get that right. That's my pathway to growing in the grace of God. There are many avenues of growing in grace, obviously. But giving is one of the most powerful. One of the most powerful. And I'll show you why. Last two weeks ago, I shared how that God, our Father, is a giving Father. Not so. Every good and every perfect gift... James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation, no shifting shadow. So all good gifts come from Father. The personhood of God as Father and His disposition to give are compatible. There's no incongruence with that. Yet the one goes with the other. They fit like hand in glove. If you say you are a father and you're not giving, you're not a father. A father by definition beckons or desires to give good gifts to his children. Not so? Right? And it says every good and every perfect gift comes down from the, from the father who gives out from himself. Matthew 7 from verse 7 to 11. Just from verse 11, just because of time, I won't go through everything. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who will ask Him? Again, the nature of God as Father is to bless. Tell you remember, God is a good God. God is not withholding. When you think of God, don't think of a stingy person, a miser, a Mr. Scrooge upstairs, keeping as much as possible away from you. No, that's not God. God is nice. <laughs> He's a good God. Amen? And He wants to give good gifts to His children. He beckons to give out from His person to you. And Luke eleven thirteen says, If you being evil now to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So the idea of giving or the idea of gift is synonymous with the personhood of Father. The Father beckons to give. Now remember I said this to you, it's every son's responsibility then to represent his father. Yeah? It's every son's responsibility to represent his father. If internal to his nature is a disposition of giving out, then I as his son am like him, and what is true of him must be true of me. I must want to 
give out. I heard a few testimonies yesterday from some of our brothers of how they're growing in this dynamic and practicing generous giving, not even in the context of this local house, in life generally, just giving and helping people. It's amazing. Uh, uh, one of the guys said, naturally, they shouldn't. Naturally, they can't. But they're realizing the power of this word we're teaching that if I just be grace aware, if I just harness the power of grace, grace beckons me to give out. Right? Even when it doesn't make sense, it seems like financial suicide that I'm doing this. But I'm not, I'm not doing it by works. I'm doing it by, by grace. And grace will never leave you on the back foot. If you give from a grace position, you will never be disadvantaged. You will always, if not now, but in time, you will be advantaged by virtue of, of what you have given. Amen. So fathers give, and they give lovingly, they give willingly, they give generously. So must all sons of God. Luke 12, 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock. It is the Father has chosen to gladly give you the kingdom. I like the old King James. It is the Father's good pleasure, my sons or my children, to give you the kingdom. Right? The, everyone say pleasure. Do you know God delights in giving you? He derives... Everyone say pleasure, right? God wants His people blessed. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to be like Him, you mustn't be in pain when you give. You must be in pleasure. The Bible says God loves a, a happy giver. The happiest moment of your life should be when you're giving out something. You know the word cheerful there is hilarious. Have you ever seen an hilarious person? The Greek word hilario is strictly translated a beside himself person. Go beside yourself when you give. Yeah? You've seen soccer fans when their team scores a goal? Hmm? I've seen some presidents in stands when the team scores a goal, all prim and proper, but they forget all protocol. When the team scores, yeah, so one. The Tie is this way, coat all over, happy, right? That is unrestrained joy. Unrestrained joy. Giving should be the happiest time of the service. Maybe we should sing some joyful songs when we bring the offering up. Yeah? Tell your neighbor, it's be, be pleasurable to give. Yeah? Be, you must be, it, it must be the disposition of your spirit. Okay? Now, just watch. I'm going to read through these verses because I believe in the power of God's word to transform. Please listen with me. 2 Peter 1 verse 2 and 3 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. God has given us, I like this phrase, everything. Tell your neighbor, He has granted everything. In His good fathering, He has positioned everything you will need for two things. For life, to live life, and to represent Him in a godly fashion. For life and for godliness, the Father has literally given everything and prepared everything for you. Please just track with me, watch where we are going. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son,
but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us what? Some things? Come on. Will he freely give us some things? Does it not say all things? Yeah. Uh, are you convinced that it is God's will that you are blessed? Are you convinced that it is God's will? Your heavenly father loves you and he wants the best for you. Are you convinced? Yeah. Let me just say, you see, if you're not convinced about his nature towards you, it will compromise how you posture yourself representatively of him towards others. I think the paucity, the problem in giving is borne out from an inferior revelation of a God who is gracious, a God who is, finds great pleasure in giving, a God who takes the time to plan everything for life and godliness for his sons. If that revelation, first it must come to you, that God not only loves you, he likes you. Tell you neighbor, he loves you and he likes you. You see, grace and your understanding of God as a benevolent, gratuitous, rich, bountiful, a God full of plenitude, that revelation must grip you so that you mimic him in how you operate in life. You copy him in how you operate in life. Now, a couple other scriptures. I want to get to another point because of time. Fast racing away. I then challenged you. The Lord reminded me of a point here. Go back to James 1 verse 17. James 1 verse 17. Every good thing and every perfect gift comes down from above. Down from the Father of what? Father of lights. Now, this could have just said Father. Or it could have said God the Father or the Heavenly Father. It could have said the Father of peace, the Father of love, the Father of joy. It could have said the Father of a whole lot of good characteristic things about Himself. But the text says He's a Father of what? Everyone say Father of lights. Now, the word lights here is a reference to illumination. The word lights here is a reference to understanding. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. It says, let the eyes of your understanding be in enlightened. So there's a reference to understanding, a reference to illumination, a reference to revelation. In the creative order, what was disclosed on day one? And God said, let there be not sunlight. The sun was only made on the fourth day. Day one, light. Day two, heaven. So it's got nothing to do with celestial light. No sunlight later. Day one, light. Day two, heaven. Day three, earth. Day four, sun, moon, stars, etc. So this has got nothing to do with natural things. What is light? The text says in the New Testament that who is light? God is light. So remember it says darkness was everywhere. And God said, right? The Bible, there's a lovely text in Isaiah. It says, God wraps himself in darkness. Right? He, and darkness there is metaphoric of ignorance. Like those who try to know him cannot until he discloses himself. So the first act of creation was to disclose his light. The first act of creation was, listen, please, you've you got to catch me here. The first act of creation was to disclose his being. He's saying, I'm coming out of hiding. I'm coming out of darkness. Let there be light. And James says, his capacity to give comes out from his nature as a father of light. 
A father of illumination. A father of revelation. Now think with me. When was man made? What day? Together with some of the beasts. Day six was a fairly long day. The beast came first. Man was the last item at the end of day six. So God took six days to prepare context for man. He made heaven, earth, every living thing, all the ecosystems, simply because he had man in mind. Now, isn't God a good father? He takes so long to prepare everything for life and godliness for the man. He didn't make the man first. He created the context first, put the man in the context. Heaven and earth has got no relevance outside of God's purposes in man. Heaven and earth mean nothing if there's no man. They were made for the man. They were made for the man. Yeah? But listen carefully. I think like this. You know, God, you could have started with the account from day two. Why disclose yourself first? You see, everything else from day two, heaven, day three, earth, day four, sun, moon, stars, etc., day four, day five, day six, everything else that was created after day one issued forth out from the light of God. Because His Word is light too. Yeah? And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. Yeah? If light then is revelation, if light is illumination, if light is understanding, then I have to, like God did in the creative account, whenever I administrate my world, He did the whole world, the unseen and the seen realms. Whenever I administrate and steward my domain, my sphere, and God says, steward, steward finances, steward the realm, dominate, rule in the midst of your enemies. If I don't have light, it's going to limit my generosity. I'm going to say that again. I'll prove it to you from the Bible. If I don't have light, I will be stingy and not generous. When you think of the vastness of creation, is God not highly generous? Yeah. Whenever I go to, when the one time we were in Switzerland, and we're riding through these mountains, I said, wow, who looking at this can't believe there is a God? When I ride or along, we often ride bikes along Durban, the beach front there. When I just look at Durban Beach, I'm just amazed at God. I'm looking at the ocean. I'm thinking, wow, what, what wisdom created all of this? He put all the plans in place and he stepped back in the seventh day into rest. He says, I will not work again. I'm in Sabbath rest. My sons on the earth will work on behalf of me. When I work, they will work and represent me in their realm. But in my wisdom, I've already granted them everything for life and godliness because I'm a good, good father. I've given out from my light position. And listen carefully. I'll show you now. Light is synonymous with generosity. No person can be generous without revelation. No person can be generous without illumination. It took God to disclose light on day one and brought forth on day two, three, four, five, six, everything else so benevolently, so, so rich in its constitution, so varied, so vast, everything flowed out from the light position in God. That's why James had a revelation. He said every good gift, every perfect gift 
comes from our Father of lights. Now, ask yourself how much light then is in you. Hmm? Ask yourself how much light is in you. Now, before I demonstrate the principle from the scripture, I want to encourage you. Hebrews 12 and verse 9 says this. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to who? To the father of spirits. Say this word with me. Father of spirits. And live. Now, you are body, soul, and spirit. Or more correctly stated, spirit, soul, and, and body. Not so? Your spirit came from where? From God? Talk to me. Is God spirit? Is the Father spirit? Is the Son spirit? Is the Holy Ghost spirit? All of God is spirit. The Son is spirit, the Father is spirit, and, and the Holy Ghost is spirit. I won't have time to prove that theologically uh, to you. It's all in my grace notes. You can just... You can download it from the website. All of God is spirit. All three parts of the persons of the Godhead are all spirit. John 4.24 says God is spirit. Therefore they that worship Him must worship Him in? In spirit and in? In truth. The word Father, Abba in the Hebrew or Pate in the Greek, involves a constellation of meanings. Among which are, is this. Father means source, progenitor, originator. There's, everyone say source, say origin. So if it says here in this text, if we had earthly fathers when they disciplined us, we obeyed them and we listened to them, how much more should we then obey and be subject to the father of our spirits? In other words, my spirit has its source in God. It's, it's a part of me that is most like God. But which person in the Godhead originated that while all the Godhead is spirit? This says the Father. is the Father of our spirits because sons are begotten by a Father. So it's the Father that, be, that breathed spirit into Adam, the first man. Yeah? Just remind your, 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 your neighbor the father of your spirit, your human spirit, is God. The father of your human spirit is God. Now, what is the constituent component of anything spirit? Grace. Yeah? Think about it like this, brethren. Grace is the substance of God as a spirit being. So when he gave you spirit, he gave you a container of grace. Your spirit, man. He gave you something that could receive grace. That is why Paul would consistently say this to Timothy, to Philemon, and I think it's also in one of the other New Testament letters. When he ended them, he said, grace be with your spirit. Repeat this after me. We must, you see, I'm, I'm going a bit slow because I want you to understand. Say, grace be with your spirit. Grace lands on your spirit, not your soul and body. Because your spirit is that dynamic that is comprised of grace. So to enrich it, to endow it, to make it full and mature, needs a progressive deposit of the grace of God. Right? 
Paul did not say to Timothy, grace be with your soul, when he ended the letter. Specifically, even to Philemon, he said, grace be with your spirit. Now, is God's spirit? Do you have a spirit? Where did that spirit come from? Which part of the Godhead? Father. He's the father of spirit. What is his nature? It's to give. The first act of the generosity of a God that is spirit that beckons to give out. The very first giving out was to give spirit to men. Yeah. And then before he even did that, he gave and he took six days to prepare heaven. Oh, by the way, heaven is a created realm. It wasn't always there. He created it and he put hosts. Everyone say hosts. It says Genesis 2 verse 1. He made the heavens and the earth. In the image of God, he created male and female, and he made the heavens and the earth, and what? And their host. Can we put that up? Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and their hosts. We hosted people here at the conference. I hosted some people on Friday night. A, a meal was prepared. Took the time, even though it was impromptu. Right? When you host, you prepare. Huh? God is a host. God is the consummate host. He's the consummate host. He's the ultimate hoster of things and people. And listen carefully. He wanted to host men. And he made both heaven and earth, watch, heavens and earth completed and their hosts. You know, angels in heaven want to host you. It says they are designed to serve. They are ministering spirits, serve, designed to serve our sons who are heirs of self, salvation. Right? Who'd like to get an invitation to a very posh place for dinner? And you know the people are stinking rich, and it's going to be a glorious event. I think this is good. What about me? I took six days to prepare a context for you. And I put hosts in there. Everything in heaven and earth is designed to serve the purpose of God in you. The thing that gravitates towards, think, think with me, what, does, what releases all the resource God needs to come to you to serve His purposes in you? It's sonship. Sonship is like a gravitational force field of attraction. Things will like a magnet come to you as and when you need them because you are holding to your accurate representation of sonship in God. He hosted everything for you. Now, think with me. Is he a father? Yes or no? Does the father give? Is he a father of spirits? Do you have the same spirit? Yeah? Did he give so vastly and so benevolently out from the rich deposit of his being as a spirit being? Yes. And I'm saying to us, brethren, God said to me, Randolph, if ever you're going to grow in giving, be more aware, listen carefully, of the vastness of spirit potential I put in you by my spirit. Your spirit is bigger than you think. Your spirit has got more potential than you think. I would have been in hospital this week with a frenetic activity over the past month if it were not but for the grace of God. I've learned how to bring this flesh under submission of grace. 
we are wise, we take rest, we, 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 we take the necessary vitamins and mineral supplementation and all of that. But I'm saying ordinarily we should not have been doing what we are doing. But we are what we are by the, by the grace of God. So that spirit is a generous spirit and it gives from light. Now, just quickly, okay, time is going. I won't get near where I really want to go. But I need to read the scripture again. Listen carefully. Uh, say this with me. God's spirit is a generous spirit. Now, Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your, your heart be also. So you can easily locate your heart. You find your heart wherever your treasure is. Okay? Eye is the lamp of the, of the body, so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of what? Everyone say full of light. Is God the Father of lights? He expects your body to be full of light. Right? But he says your body is only full of light if your eye is clear. I want to have, I'll prove this to you because of time later on when I give you the Greek words. The meaning of clear is sincere. The meaning of clear, haplotis, haplus, the derivative is haplotis, which means bountiful or generous. I'm not lying. Check it out if you think I'm lying. Be a good Berean. <laughs> it means generous. Now watch. Listen to me very carefully, brethren. And we're going to pray this. What Genesis let me just read this again. The eye is what? The lamp of the, the body. So it says there's a light in you called your eye. It's the lamp of your body. If your eye is clear, sincere, the, 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 the literal Greek rendering is without folds. Without folds. And if you've got too many folds of your eye, you can't see, right? There's darkness. So without folds means transparent, clear, clear vision. It says... If your eye, which is the lamp of the body, is clear, he makes a conclusion then. Oh, by the way, your whole body is full of light based upon the state of your eye. The state of your eye, which is the lamp of the body, will determine the state of the, the whole body. Last time I said to you, you don't see with your eyes. You see through your eyes. Now, Proverbs 20, verse 22 says this. Sorry, Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of the man is what? Is the lamp of the, of the Lord. Now, you should be putting the text together. Watch. The spirit of the man is what? The lamp of the Lord. Matthew 6 just told us that the eye is the lamp of the, the body. So, this text tells me the Spirit is the lamp of the Lord. The reference to I in Matthew 6 is a reference to my spirit. Yeah. It's a reference to my spirit. So it tells me if my eye is clear, literally, if my spirit is generous, like a generous, benevolent father of spirits who is big and vast in his disposition to give, he makes the conclusion 
He says, therefore, your whole body will be full of light. It takes light to give. It takes revelation to give generously. I would think this, whenever someone gives so generously, it's tacit evidence that they are functioning from a realm of illumination, from a realm of great light. Right? But later on he says, but if your eye is bad, which means the other eye is good. Listen to this verse. Listen carefully. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9. Proverbs 22 and verse 9. He who is generous will be blessed. Come on. Say it with me. He who is generous will be blessed. Just put the New King James. He who has what? A generous eye. And I just proved to you the eye is a reference to the lamp which is the spirit within the man. There are so many verses like this that equate the state of the eye to the disposition of being generous. And it concludes, therefore, that man is full of light. That man is full of revelation. That man is full of understanding. The same verse in the ESV says it like this. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. It's amazing. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. You display how dark your spirit is when you are stingy. You manifest how full of light your spirit is when you give generously. You see, we're not after your money, by the way, if anyone thinks I'm preaching for money. No, I'm not after your money. I'm after you becoming like your father in all things. That's my passion. If God is wide in his spirit disposition as a father, father of lights who, who prepares everything and gives out, then break the darkness in you. Break it in Jesus' name. Stop that stinginess. You are, you're blocking light. You're blocking revelation. That's why the text, listen carefully to this. This text says, Luke 16 verse 10 onwards. He who is faithful in a little thing is also faithful in, in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in, in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, this text says unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? God says if you're proving unfaithful with money, with wealth, and you cannot, dis you cannot demonstrate the quality of light you have akin to the, the nature of God as a spirit being the father of light, if you cannot demonstrate that that is your disposition, God says, do you think, do you even consider that I'm going to give you true riches, which is truth, which is revelation, which is further, deeper understanding into the word. If you are proving unfaithful with that, do you think I'm ready to offload to you riches which I've, I, I haven't revealed, listen carefully, to so many saints for ages past, 
And do you want to be the recipient of that when you cannot handle money? Right? You see, to whom much has been given, much is required. If, if God cannot trust you with His money, His money is your tithe. The Bible says the tithe doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. So not to tithe is to deliberately steal. So God is saying, if I can't trust you with my money, not your money, my money. I can't even trust you with my money. How can I give you more of your own to handle? If you cannot prove faithful with my money. Yeah? So I want to encourage you, and let me just, just quickly uh, complete this for the sake of time. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give to you what is your, your own? So there are two degrees of faithfulness. It's faithfulness in small things versus faithfulness in much and faithfulness in, in that which is another man's. That which is another, who can give you what is your, your own. And then it says, no man can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money, were listening to all of these things. You see, if you're sitting there with a Pharisee spirit, this will offend you. If you're sitting there with a legalistic mindset, this teaching will offend you. Get the, I'm trying to get the Pharisee out of you. Fair you see? The Pharisees were lovers of money, were listening to these things, and they were scoffing him. You know, when I read this, I'll, let me tell you what the Lord said to me. When I read this, he says, Randolph, continue with the teaching. Don't be concerned about the Pharisee spirit that is raising its head up. I discern in the spirit, there's a Pharisaic spirit, even amongst us, that is, that is, where you say, this, what is all this? No, 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 no. I'm trying to get light and revelation to you. And the Bible says they were scoffing at him. And you know what the Lord said to me? You see, Mary broke the alabaster box of spikenard, the nard, 11 months wages, not so? Worth. And she broke it and she poured it on Jesus. And who took offense? Judas there is sitting with no revelation. Mary is full of light. Generous like the Father, breaks 11 months worth of perfume, small nod, small bottle of perfume, and pours it on the body of Christ. Right? And who got offended? And Judas went out to, to put plans in place, the Bible says, to betray him. It's amazing what an offering can do. It can activate the betrayer. Hey, be careful, brethren. Be careful that your generosity activates betrayal. And the Lord said to me, don't let the scoffers dissuade you or, or hinder you. Right? Don't let them do that. You see, you know, another aspect of light is when, if you claim to be full of light, then you give revelatory. You give out of an understanding of what you are doing. You know what Jesus said about the woman? Leave her alone. She, her gift, her offering has prepared my my body for burial. I believe she had an idea, whether she, she did consciously or unconsciously, but those who give being illumined know what they're doing. Abraham gave Isaac as a pattern. His only son, Father, the Heavenly Father in future times would give his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Hannah too gave up her, her only son. Abel offered unto God, the Bible says, what? The first fruit, the firstlings of his flocks. And he, Hebrews comments and says, and he offered up a better sacrifice. King James, a more excellent sacrifice than, than Cain. Do you know what the Hebrew word for offering for Cain there is? Minka. Even sounds bad. Mini, 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 minka. Minka means donation. Cain gave a donation. Abel gave the best, the first evidence, the first outcome, the first fruits, and he gave that. Right? He gave out of a... The Bible, when Hebrew says, Hebrew says, by faith he did that. By faith he offered. You know what faith is? Amongst many things, we walk by faith and not by sight, natural sight. So faith is sight into an eternal reality. The man of faith sees something that the person without faith cannot see. So it says, you know what it even says about Abraham in Hebrews 11? By faith he offered Isaac. Abel gave by faith, not by feeling. If you're waiting to feel right about giving, it's never going to happen. Huh? You, you respond out of revelation. These guys knew exactly what they were doing. I think of Barnabas. How does a man sell all his property? Doesn't keep one cent for himself and give it to the, the feet of the apostles to mobilize, to, to move apostolic purposes in his day. He had a light. Everyone say light. Light. If, if you're not full of light, if, you don't, if light's not going to grip you, your giving will be stymied, will be stifled. Yeah. Your giving will be stymied. Can I just take just five minutes? I just, I just need to get this point across. It's my main point, actually. This is all building up to this. This is what the Lord said to me that we as a church are. 1 Kings 4, 7 to 9. I've shared this with you in the past, but the Lord brought it forcefully back to my remembrance this week. And this morning, I was up around Hoppus 4, just meditating, looking through my notes, and I added this in. Solomon had 12 deputies over all Israel who provided for the king and for his household. Each man had to provide for a what? A month in the year. Now think, here's a king, right? Who's the king? Solomon. He got 12 deputies. How many months are there in the year? 12. Each guy was required in each month to provide for the king some resource, whatever, material, financial, servants it was a whole long long affair right now would you like to be a deputy in this culture yeah responsible to replenish the king the king let's say in june your month is june a lot fell on you in june right so this is what the next verse says these are their names it won't say these are their names ben her in the hill country of ephraim carry on ben deca this is the man i'm interested this guy. I'm not about the others. There's all 12 guys. And each, it, it mentions the guy and the city or the area that he was in charge of. So here's the point. The guy used his area or cities that he was responsible for to draw a resource, extract resource from those areas, and to provide it for the king. That's the scenario. This guy, Ben Deca. Everyone say Ben Deca. 
I submit to you in the spirit, this congregation is a bendeka in the spirit. Bendeka in Makez, in Shalbim, and Bet Shemesh, and Elon Beth Hanan. Four cities. Everyone say four cities. Now, the interesting thing about this last one, the fourth city I like, okay, you had four from which you could extract resource and bless his king in his particular month. Elon Beth Hanan, anything Hanan means grace in Hebrew. Beth, you know, means house. Elon means oak. Elon Beth Hanan means oak of the house of grace. Oak of the house, Beth of, of grace. It also means the mighty house of a gracious giver. The mighty house of a gracious giver. Now this is what God said to me. I'm saying this not as a theological truth. I'm saying this as a prophetic reality of what God said our house is going to be. When you walk in these doors and you come to this family church, I want to tell you you're walking into an oak of a house of grace. What is oak? Strong. Immovable. Mighty. Firm pig. And it's a house of grace. It's, it's like what Acts 4 says, and great grace was upon them all. You see, your giving grows as your grace grows. And as your giving grows, your grace grows. And as your grace grows, you give more. And your, and your giving grows. And as you give more, grace comes to you. It never stops. I like what Pastor Thamos said recently. In the past, we used to say, give to get. Now you give to give. And he made the statement here. He says, the more I give, the more I give. You are a distribution center if God can entrust you. If stuff can move out from you, don't dam it up. That's why it's called currency. It must flow. What's that what used to say? It's called currency so it can flow. <laughs> yeah? And you know what deca means? Deca means, something in my notes, it has to do with a javelin or a lance or piercing. Uh, it means this, piercing through, thrusting through, lance bearer, piercing. He will perforate the piercer. This guy's like a javelin. He's like, shoo, come through. Like things open, right? That's what we are in the spirit. In this narrative, I would like to just interpret this for you quickly. Solomon here would represent Christ. Twelve deputies, twelve represents the apostolic principle. Not so? Whatever Christ Solomon in his kingdom needs to effectively administrate the kingdom, he did not rely on his own. The Bible says he put men in responsible positions. He called them deputies. And this, each one, this one I like, it will be nice to study all these names. Uh, but this particular one I like, it says because he was in charge of one of the four cities, was the house of the oak of grace. And I think he would generate, because this whole city, think of all the people in the city. Names were not given to cities because of mere descriptions. They were given because of the character of the city. So here is a group of people who are gracious givers. So when their month came, no problem, we bless our king with all he needs to effectively administrate the kingdom. God said this to me. This is what the Lord said to me. God said, your house is an Elon Beth Hanan in the spirit. 
I will require you when I need you to furnish my purposes, not for your locality. This is going up to Solomon. This is for, this is for the bigger purposes of God in my kingdom. But God says, I find your house faithful. I find your house worthy enough. I will, yes, what the Lord says, I will give you much to steward. But you must become an oak of the house of grace that replenishes kingdom initiatives and gives to kingdom uh, agendas and my purposes in the earth. God says, if that's your heart, then I will steward my purposes in and through you. God said this, I will steward my purposes in and through you. I wanted to speak about, about Lydia, but that won't... Let me just do it quickly. Five minutes, right? Come on, church. Hey, can't we have this church the whole day? One of the days we just have breaks and carry on. Otherwise, we're never going to finish this thing, I'm telling you. Listen carefully. Can I just use one or two quick examples? Do you remember Lydia? She was a seller of fine purple. She lived in a city called Tyre, Tira. If you are a seller of fine purple... Are you wealthy? Yes. Because who is your clientele? Who buys purple? Kings. She's a seller of fine purple. Her clientele is only kings. She's prosperous. Paul is busy in some area. And he gets a vision. In the vision, a man from Macedonia says, Come over and help us. Everyone say Macedonia. Now you should be linking the dots in your mind. If I say Macedonia, what scripture are you thinking about? Come on. 2 Corinthians 8, I want you to make known the, the grace of God given to the churches that this girl is functioning in that context. This, she's from Thyatira, living in Macedonia, the province. And the Bible says, so Paul responds to a vision, come and help us. He goes, and his first appointment is by the river, ministering the word of the Lord. And here the Bible says, and the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to receive the things that Paul said. Then the Bible says, and she invited him into a house to stay, and she prevailed upon him. Much happened in Philippi. This was in Philippi in Macedonia, right? Much happened there in Philippi, right? Busting out of the jail with Silas, etc. And when they came out of the jail, the Bible says, and Lydia beckoned them again to come and stay with, with her. You see, Lydia is a lady full of grace. Her name means bending, which is a, a position of humility to which grace is attracted. Right? Bending, a position of humility to which grace is attracted. She also means travailing or firebrand. She hosted, everyone say host. She hosted an apostle in a city. And she becomes the first fruit of the givers in that whole region. That spirit spread throughout Macedonia such that Paul would say to them, to the Corinthians about them, there's no other church where I can you know, I think of giving and how they gave this church because of an abundance of, of grace. Last example. You've got to read this and we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 from verse 15 to 18. Now this is going to bless you and we're going to pray prayers of impartation. Check this out. Now I urge you, brothers... Brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were first fruits of Achaia, and they devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Everyone say, devoted to the ministry of the saints. What is, what is our church about? We are about devoting ourselves to the ministry of the saints. 
what happened last week at our conference? We devoted ourselves to facilitate ministry to the saints, not just internally to the broader context in Durban. Get this into your spirit. Say, we are church. Come on, say that. We are church. We are devoted to creating contexts, environments, so that the saints could be ministered to. If you are that way inclined, God says, I will dispense such unusual grace to you. Because I, I see your devotion is to give out, not just money, but resource, even spiritual resource. And check this out. Paul is saying, who is Paul writing to you? To the Corinthians, not so? And he says, this household of Stephanus, they were the first to believe in a region called Achaia. They devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints and also to be in, and he says, and you also be in, what? Be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in works and in labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus. Please don't name your child Fortunatus. Fortunatus, imagine. <laughs> over Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus. Listen, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. And they refreshed my spirit and even yours, O Corinthians. Therefore, acknowledge such men very quickly. I speak to us prophetically. God said to a whole city. Who is he writing to? Corinth. Corinth is a whole city. He says, the whole city, here is the household of Stephanus. All of you be subject to this man. You bow your knee to him. What is his qualification? He devotes himself. And he's, he's not just him, but him and his house. They've positioned themselves, devoted, given to, the Greek is assigned, committed to, the ministry to the saints. The Lord said this to me. It's not like we'll dominate anybody, hierarchical or, or, or in an authoritarian way. But the Lord says He's found us faithful because our commitment to minister to the saints and therefore they will come to us to serve God's purposes in us also because of the degree to which we are committed to ministering and helping the body of Christ. Yeah? Say it with me again. Elon, Beth, Hanan. Say it again. Elon, Beth, Hanan is grace. So, oak of the house of grace. Say it. Oak of the house of grace. If you want to find a New Testament example, Stephanus. Here's a man. And what does Stephen mean? Stephanus, Stephen. What does Stephen mean? Rule. Crown. Rule. Romans 5 suggests that grace calls you to rule in life. Yeah? If you rule anything, you are grace enriched. Acts 6, 8 about the Stephen who died says, And Stephen full of what? Full of grace. So is Stephanus full of grace? He's full of grace. But his entire mission in life, I said, when I read this, I said, God, I rededicate my life to you. All my time, all my resources. I want Zion built up globally, not just in Durban. I will take the time to write. I will take the time to study. I will take the time to, to go and reach out to my brothers like we did last night. I am positioning myself as a house of Stephanus because of the 
I am demonstrating what? You are the father of lights. You have a spirit rich in grace. You have given me that quality. Now, God, I want everybody to benefit. And God says, if you do, if that's your inclination, I will cause them to come and subject themselves to you. You won't seek that to dominate people. We want to be conduits that everyone can benefit from. But you know, there's two other guys. Everyone say two other guys. Fortunatus. I like this guy. Everyone say Fortunatus. <laughs> so you got the name of your son. Where's your... Hallelujah. Who's thinking they have another baby? But you know what this guy's, this, this guy's name means? Quickly, it has to do with freight. Stephen means crowned. But Fortunatus means prosperous or well freighted. What is freight? Come on. Cargo. What was one of my prophecies? You'll be like a cargo ship. Not, this is not a luxury liner. This church is not a luxury liner. If you come on board here, you come on a cargo ship, right? <laughs> and, you know, it says, everyone, come on, get this into your spirit. Say, well freighted. You're carrying well. Say, well freighted. Say, prosperous. Now, Paul commends three guys. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus. Achaeus literally is he who is from Achaia, and Achaia has got to do with suffering, the meaning of it. It has got to do with hard times, uh, trouble or wailing. So the, the other guy, Achaius, he knows dark, deep struggles of pain and suffering. You know what the Bible says? When we go through that, God gives grace. Uh, my grace is sufficient for you. All three of these brothers are full of grace. And I want to submit to us, brethren. Will you commit today to say, I want to be part of an Elon Beth Hanan in the spirit. Whenever my Solomon requires me to re release resource in particular times for his purposes in the kingdom, I will do it as a reflection of the generosity of the richness of my father's spirit. I do so because I'm full of light. I'm full of revelation. As I'm in and let me just say this. I said this to someone earlier. I want to be faithful financially because my focus is not on finances. I know if I'm faithful with that, God will give me stewardship over true riches. That is what I'm after. I'm after more grace. Elon, Beth, Hanan. Not counting the cost. Just blessing. Hmm? I'm telling you, brethren, it's a reality. God is saying to us, I see you faithful with little things. Now prepare your hands. You're, you're stewarding thousands, tens of thousands of rands. Now start along for the day we will give hundreds of thousands as a tithe of tithe. Yeah? And with a need, in the, a need in the kingdom, we will just bless this person or bless that person. Take care of the needs amongst us as well. But for this dynamic to grow, you know what? We all need to come on board. Tell your neighbor, I have a rich spirit. Or repeat after me. Say, I have a rich spirit. Say, my spirit is vast. Come on, say, my, do this. My spirit is vast. Hey, don't. Next time I see a need, and even if my, my circumstances 
fail to meet the need, I'm going to pray God. And I want to give from the bigness of the spirit content that is reflective of your being as a father. I'm not going to give based upon the, uh, the, the Macedonians gave beyond the ability because of grace. Amen. Gave beyond the ability because of the grace of God. There are great things in store for us. And if you are faithful with little, God will give you rulership over, over much. Amen. I, I, I submit to you, this house is going to be very blessed. Very blessed. All of you will be blessed economically. We already seeing some amazing miracles happening. The sad part of me is I'm seeing some people stand on the fringes and not engage this economy. You should be leading this thing by now. At the forefront of it. Let your eye be full of light. Be full of revelation. I saw some people gave from, and some I know your context. I know, I know your circumstances. Some of you gave from the most dire circumstances. But you wanted to sow something and you still gave. May the Lord richly bless you. And I think the principle, if you worked or did not work at the conference, is immaterial to me. Everybody gets a CD today. Everyone, take a CD as you go out. The principle of those who went to war, come back. David passed a perpetual law. Remember when he went to recover all from the, the, the raid on Ziklag? That says 200 men sat at the river and only 400 went to recover. And the 400 who came to recover said, must we share the spoil with all these who did not fight? And David said, yes. Shows the richness of the heart of grace. Amen. So I'm in an Oprah mood today. You're all getting one. <laughs> one per family, that is. Yeah. Please feel free to duplicate the CDs as you feel free. Also, Pastor Thomas, two CDs on, uh, on finances there. I see there's still many left over. Please, you must take it. He, he taught financial principles for three sessions on two CDs there at the table. You must listen to that. I've been listening to it. It's in my spirit, etc. Lift your hands. Let's pray. Let's just humble our hearts before the Lord. I said much. You know, I'm always so fearful in giving these examples that we tend towards pride. Let's just stop for a while and say, God, this is because of you. Without you, we can do nothing. We humble our hearts before you. And we deem it such a privilege that you would choose us to steward your purposes in Durban and globally. I pray for every family. I pray for every marriage, for every working person, working mother, working father, working young person. I pray the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and brings no sorrow be your portion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would become aware today of the vastness the richness of the spirit that you carry from your father, who is the father of your spirit. He took such time to prepare so lavishly the context and he put you in this earth. I pray that position will grip you. I pray you'll become aware of how good he is, how he wants to bless you. He loves you. He likes you. And his capacity will become your capacity even now. I pray you would rule by grace. That we as a household will be a household of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus. Oh God, that we will replenish whole cities like Corinth. You'll cause them to come to bow, to receive grace, to receive doctrine, to receive the wisdom of God. I declare this era open now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray fullness to every house locally, every domestic dwelling unit. I pray, oh God, that you are full. Fill every space 
with grace. Take up the slack. Fill the gap. Fill the human weakness. Fill the, the human deficiency. Fill every space, God. In Jesus' mighty name, I bless your people with the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and brings no sorrow with it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.